0: You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. This episode is part two of our yearly briar preview. In part two, you will hear from the skip of the reigning champions who could make some briar history by winning another title this year in London. Then we chat with a third who has played for four of the top Canadian skips of this century. He'll be followed by a guest who has become a familiar face at ice level, at several recent world championships and at the Olympics, but who will be playing in his first career briar in London. And our final two guests on this episode will be a junior world champion skipping in his first briar, and one of the veterans of the Canadian curling scene who will be wearing different colours at this year's briar. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me. Once again, my name is Frank Rock. My first guest in part two of our Briar preview is Brad Gushu, who would become the first skip to ever win five Briars if his team repeats as champions in London. But he'll have to do it with a slightly different lineup than last year. Brad, when you and I spoke uh, for the From the Hack Briar preview last season, you obviously had your sights on winning, but I'm sure you would have never, in your wildest dreams, expected to win the way that you did. Now, I know that the 2017 Briar will always have a special place in your heart. You won at home. It was your first Briar Championship. But I'm assuming that you'll have fond memories of the the grit your team showed last year, not only in winning the Briar and doing it three-legged without one of the best thirds in the world, but also doing it just a few short weeks after an exhausting Olympic competition.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a, a different briar for us. I, I think we went in there with kind of house money. After coming back from the Olympics, we were pretty pretty relaxed and really wanted to go into the briar and just kind of enjoy the experience. And I, I think that really freed us up throughout the, the round-robin portion. And we went undefeated, and, you know, we were feeling really good, really loose. And then all of a sudden, you know, we got the news about Mark. And, uh, you know, I, I think that win was kind of bittersweet. You know, it was it was nice to to obviously win and overcome the adversity that we face with Marco now, but to, to win without Mark in the lineup was kind of a bit rough as well. And and you can only imagine the, the struggle, mental struggle, the physical struggle that he was going through throughout that whole experience. And so that was a bit tough, but, you know, we definitely battled, um, you know, when the, the news happened, I think we all had a moment where we felt the briar was over and, and it was kind of inevitable that we weren't going to win, but after we lost, that crossover game to to botcher we kind of just said you know what let's just go out and and see what we could do and see if we can make a good story out of this and and sure enough that's what we did
0: at the end of the olympic cycle uh, brad some of the other well-known skips added younger players to their lineup and you went with a veteran and olympic gold medalist ej Harden instead of going young were you looking at different profiles for your new player or were you always keen on getting a veteran player to replace brett gallant uh, to
1: be honest, there was, it was a very short list of, of people that we were looking at and, and you're right. All of the other teams seem to get a little bit younger. We got a little bit older, <laughs> but, uh, been through a rebuild of a team and bringing in younger players and, and going through that, you know, at my age and, and the, and Mark's age and Jeff's age, we, we didn't feel we were ready to, to kind of bring on a new player and, and a younger player and really have to develop, you know, we when EJ was available and he could kind of come into the the lineup and you know that when you get in a big moment he's he's been there he's done that he doesn't have to learn those emotions and the feelings that you have uh, we felt that that was an advantage and i've played with EJ in a couple kind of made for tv events the everskins and the uh, the one up in banff as well so i i had some experience playing with him and really enjoyed you know that that experience and and I knew that we could mesh well when we're out on the ice and uh, it was it was an easy choice to be quite honest um uh, you know there were, like I said it was a short list and once EJ was available and he showed that he had some interest in playing with us uh, it all came together pretty quick
0: as one would expect, uh, Brad, your team had a relatively light schedule this first season of the Olympic cycle, only competing in the Slams, the Points Bet Invitational, and the Pancontinental Championship. Uh, I know that EJ is a veteran, Brad, but his addition to the lineup had to change the dynamic just a little bit. Uh, have you been a little surprised that the transition to EJ went as smoothly as it seems to have gone and that it was accompanied by some pretty good results, qualifying in each of your events and winning a couple of times? Uh, not
1: really. I, you know, it, I think it, it, it appears as everything is kind of, kind of smooth, but we're like every other team that's, that's bringing someone in. We're still trying to, to find what's going to work for all of us. And, and even though it's just one player coming in, we're trying to take in the, the attitude of, of building a new team. Like we're trying to take some things that have worked for, you know, teams that we played on in the past that have been successful and, and, and use some of those things. Like even when, you know, when EJ played with, with team Jacobs, we're trying to take some, some positives from their team and really incorporate them into ours. And then, you know, what we've done over the last, you know, eight, 10 years, we're trying to still hold on to that, but essentially we're building a new team. And and I think the fact that we have four highly skilled players has allowed us to still go out and be successful and win a slam and, you know, win the, the pan continental and, and get to some semis. But I would I'd be lying if I said to you that it's been perfectly smooth and and that we're you know where we want to be. I don't think we're quite there yet, but uh, it is a long journey over the next four years, and, and we're aware of that and and we want to make sure in four years. And and you know you alluded to our schedule, and we wanted to play late this year just to just to really recover from what we did over the last two years and the amount of time we spent away from home, the amount of time that we spent in isolation. Uh, all of those things took a toll on us. And I, I felt this year, just taking a lighter schedule, might kind of excited now when we have an event coming up, which <laughs> at the end of last year, I, I was not looking forward to going on the road at any anytime soon.
0: Brad, when you and I were first communicating to set up this interview last week, you mentioned that it was a practice week for you and the team. Can you take our audience behind the curtain and share what a practice week looks like for Brad Gushu and his team the week before a big event like the Briar?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and and we've done it you know at least a half a dozen times this year um, where we've had these kind of training weekends, and they've evolved through uh, throughout the year. as As we started early in the year, we were much more technically focused, trying to get everybody throwing the same or throwing as similar as possible. So our pass when they go down the ice, are the rocks going to run very very similar, making my job a little bit easier to put the the broom in the right spot. But as we progressed and got closer to the briar we've evolved it into more just playing games more game style shots more communication uh, really just trying to go out there and execute and and not think technically but think about just making shots Uh, so this week we ended up playing a lot of games just against Caleb our coach you know he would play the other team and just position rocks and he would play very well he you know he played probably 90 95 percent so you knew that each end that you had to play you had to execute at a high level to be successful and uh, so we did that just to try and get a little bit of game experience and get that feeling of being out there and and having an opponent that's going to make a lot of shots Uh, but then you also kind of have to make sure that if there are any little technical things that need to be touched on, you can have some time to address those and, and some, you know, some practice sessions to, to work on those things. But really it was much more about shop making communication uh, and really just getting ready for next week and and planning and scheduling, you know, everything we're going to do over those 10 days that we're going to be in London.
0: So, Brad, both you and Kevin Cooey could set a new record for number of bars won by a skip with five next week in London. Do you pay any attention to that kind of stuff, or might it all mean more to you once you retire and have more time to reflect on your career? Yeah, I,
1: I don't pay too much attention to it. I think when you try and compare you know, titles and, and compare generations it's really, really difficult. Like I, I look back in, in the fifties and sixties of what Ernie Richardson and, and those guys did. And, and to me, that's just amazing with how many good team or how many teams there were in this country that, you know, that, that curled and played in the playdowns for them to come all the way through that kind of gauntlet and, and win four out of five, to me, it's just mind blowing. You know, you fast forward to, to now. And, and, you know, if you look at the world championships and, and how good the rest of the the rest of the world has gotten compared to even just 10 or, or 15 years ago. You know, it's, it's just hard to compare generation to generation. And, you know, I, I don't put too much stock in the fact that you know, if, if we did win, it'd be, it'd be a record because it's just so hard to compare. Um, you know, what we've had to go through is com- completely different than what teams in the 50s, 60s or, or 70s and 80s, 90s, 2000s had to go through. So uh, it, it'd be nice But it's not something I I focus on or, or, you know, really care too much about.
0: What you're saying is similar to when we hear debates about how well or not Wayne Gretzky would have done in today's NHL. We'll we'll never really know because Wayne will never play in today's NHL.
1: That, that, that's that's a perfect comparison because the, the game is so much different than what it was when, when Wayne played and, and, you know, the athletes now are, are much bigger and stronger and have that focus on, on fitness that wasn't there when he was playing throughout the eighties. And, and, you know, so who, who would have evolved if they had gone through the training routines that all the athletes, uh, the hockey players are going through today. So yeah, it's, it's, it's for the media to talk about, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter too much.
0: Brad, there are several young skips at this year's Briar. As one of the elder statesmen of the sport at the elite level in Canada, how exciting is it for you to see that next generation of young players making their first appearances at the Briar? Young players with solid uh, pedigrees and juniors like uh, Tyler Tardy, Jacques Gauthier, Tanner Horgan, and Carson Sturmey?
1: Uh, I'm not excited at all, to be honest, because that means I'm just getting older Um, (laughs) and my my time is going to be shortened uh, out there competing. But no, I say that joking. Um, I am excited for them. They're going to go through a great experience. The first time you get to the briar is is so much fun. Uh, It's such a great experience and, and it's a good learning experience. You know, so I, it's going to be fun to see them, and they are the future of, of the game in this country, and, and, you know, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to be hearing those names way more than we're going to be hearing, you know, Cooey and, and, and Guju and, uh, you know, Jones and, and all those those names that we've we've heard about for the last 10 or 15 years. So, you know, it is exciting, uh, but obviously when you're on the other side of it, like, uh, like I am, you, you know that... You know, you've you've got a few more years left, and and soon it's going to be those younger teams and those younger players that that start taking over the game. So, for uh, from my perspective, try and take advantage of the last few attempts at this, and and uh, and see if we can win one. But you know, they're they're in for a great treat. I, I heard London's going to be a great briar. The uh, ticket sales are going well, and when I was there in two thousand eleven, they put off a great show. So, I think they're going to have a lot of fun and and uh, a wonderful experience.
0: You mentioned earlier, Brad, that Caleb Flaxey will be your coach at the Briar this year. Is Jules Oucher no longer part of the Entourage?
1: Yeah, so actually at this year's Briar, Jules unfortunately won't be coming with us. Um, early on in the year, you know, when we were discussing our, our schedule and, and what it was gonna look like, uh, Jules didn't want to travel too much, you know, didn't want to fly and, and when that was discussed, we decided to make the decision and, and bring in Caleb Flaxi uh, to our team. So Caleb's going to be traveling with us to the briar. You know, Jules has still been at a couple of events with us just this year. Uh, the ones in and around Alberta. And, you know, I think he's going to be joining us when we go to the Regina for the champions cup at the end of the year uh but he didn't want to travel too much the, you know the last couple of years were hard on on Jules just as as much as they were hard on everybody else and um you know i think the the traveling part and and the big crowds and all that stuff uh you know wanted to avoid that a little bit but um certainly what Caleb is is capable of bringing to the team is you know very similar to what Jules Jules can is just a you know a different body and and maybe a little less experience than what Jules has Uh, but we're excited to have Caleb there and, and, um, you know, he has a lot of experience working with, uh, with EJ. So uh, he's been at a lot of our training camps as well, all all but one. So we're familiar with him, and yeah, I think it's going to be a good addition.
0: Now, Brad, obviously, you know how hard it is to win a national championship. You also know how hard it is to defend one. Can you share your thoughts on team Anderson who are fresh off winning their fourth consecutive Scotties title?
1: Yeah, it's it's impressive. You know, I messaged Carrie this morning when I got up and and just said to her four in a row. Wow, it's pretty impressive. And and it is, um, you know, to, to win once is hard enough. To win twice is is hard, and and obviously to get four times, it's, it's just amazing because they have such a target on their back. Like everybody wants to beat them and, and because they've won three in a row and and for them to go out and win again. And to be quite honest, um, it didn't look like certainly in the playoffs that they had their best and they were still able to win. You know, they look like they were pretty dominant throughout the, the round Robin, but certainly in the playoffs, it didn't look like they were at their best, but they still just found ways to, to create wins and make those big shots in the, in the right moment. And, you know, I think that really shows, a championship team like they've they they know when to make them they know when to when to turn it on and um it's impressive i i you know looking right now there's there's lots of good women's teams but um you know it's it's hard looking out there and thinking who's who's going to be the one to kind of knock them off the throne next year it's uh you know they may do five in a row so you know, they're, they're an impressive team. I think right now, big focus for them. I'd love to see them go to the worlds in Sweden and kind of check that one off. You know, Carrie was in a very similar position to our team where she didn't get a chance to go to the worlds back in in 2020. So, you know, she hasn't had the opportunities to, to win a world championship like she has the Scotty. So hopefully this time she can go up, play the way they're capable of playing. And if they do do that, I think,
0: you know, they're going to be there at the end of the week with a chance to, uh, to bring a world championship back to Canada. And finally, Brad, uh, Curling Canada recently announced the hiring of David Murdoch as uh, the new director of High Performance. You competed against David for several years, and I'm sure that you've paid attention to the work he's done with British Curling and in Scotland. Were you happy with the selection of David, and what are you expecting from him?
1: Yeah, great great question. I guess the, the first thought was like, wow, we're going to Scotland. I was a, a little bit surprised, but obviously... Um, you know, when when you think about David and what he's accomplished and who he is as a person, who he is as an athlete and who he is as a coach, it makes complete sense. You know, I have a ton of respect for, for David. I competed against him, you know, a lot of years and more similar ages. Um, you know, he he knows the game. He's played at the highest level. He's played all the big championships, the, the world championships, the Olympics. Uh, and then he obviously had a, an incredible transition into a coach. And, and the work that he did with with Bruce's team and Eve's team and the success that they had obviously shows that he's capable of doing it. And, uh, you know, I think he's a great candidate. I think he's a great choice. Um, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to working with him and, and speaking with him about you know, some changes that can be made to our program to to get it back to, you know, where we think it can be and where we think it should be. And, um, you know, I think he also provides a, a little bit of an unbiased approach. You know, ha- having not come up through the Canadian system, he can kind of come in with a fresh set of eyes and and, and make some changes that I think are, are well needed. I think we've, uh, you know, we've been so successful for so long that sometimes you get stuck in your ways and you think those ways are are always going to work, but times change, uh, you know, new science comes out, new ideas come out. And, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to implement those when you've had success for so long. So having him come in, I think it's great. Looking
0: forward to it. And uh, I think it's a good choice. My next guest is Mark Kennedy, who has become a staple at the Briar and who's evolved into one of the better thirds of his generation. And he's done so while working alongside skips such as Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, and now Brendan Botcher. Mark, I don't think that you and I have spoken since the start of the season. Can you take me back uh, to the process that led to the new team Botcher coming together as a unit?
2: Ooh, taking me back in time here a bit. Um, it, was a, it was a unique scenario. Um, when I was curling with Brad Jacobs and the Harnden brothers um we'd made it a conscious effort to not talk about all of that stuff until after the Briar. Um, you know, and that came directly from Brad himself. He he really wanted for there to not be any distractions and for us to go out and try to win a briar as a group. So um we really did our best to eliminate those conversations and the distractions and you know, not really taking phone calls from anybody. Um and I think we did a really good job of that. Uh and then I got a call from Ben. I'd kept in touch with Ben over the years. So I kind of had an idea of what he was thinking of doing. And, um, you know, this, this team was basically built from the front end. It was, it was Ben and Brett that had, uh, kind of made the early decision that, uh, you know, Brett was going to move out here and they were going to team up and they were going to try to find the right back end for them. And, uh, Benny called me one day and and said him and Brett were hoping I'd come in and play third and they were going to reach out to Brendan as well. So, you know, it's not often that uh, teams get built from a, a really powerhouse front end, but this one did, uh, and it was just, uh, you know, it took a, a little while to think about how it was all going to work, but, you know, the big selling points of the group was all four of us in the same province, the ability to get together and really practice and and work on some stuff, because you're not winning these days anymore with just talent. You know, you're not showing up in events showing up at events as four really good curlers and and winning anything you you got to put in the the work and grind so all four of us in Alberta was a really big selling point and um, yeah the opportunity for me to get back to play with Ben who I played 12 years with and bring in the youth and enthusiasm um, and experience that Brett and Brendan bring and it was kind of a kind of a no-brainer that this team was gonna was gonna come together and and have some great opportunities so i was uh thrilled to be asked and and pretty excited with uh, what we've done as a group so far
0: you know what mark it was probably a good thing that you and ben got back together uh, because the two of you uh, chirped at each other once i believe uh, last cycle during a game and uh, many people in the curling community were horrified that uh, you know maybe you and ben were uh, were no longer buddies uh, yeah it
2: was always a tough uh, you know i love him like a brother i think it was great to take a bit of a break from one another. Cause you know, uh, sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, I was, I was playing with a great group of guys, but you know, you always look over to see what your old buddies doing. And we had so many great experiences together that I think it's, it's nice that we're going to be able to finish our careers together. And uh, you know, we know each other so well, and then we can add a lot to the group. And I certainly like having him on, uh, on my team as opposed to playing against him because that was never much fun.
0: So Mark, Brendan is one of those guys that seems to be misunderstood or underappreciated by much of the Canadian curling community. You've been teammates with him for the better part of a season now. Can you can you provide us with some insight on what he's like away from the curling ice?
2: Brendan is a great guy. Um I've really enjoyed my time with Brendan. He's you know, he's funny, he's um he's loyal, he's he's a guy you can really open up with. Um he's a good communicator. He's a good leader. He's very calm. Um, you know, he's, I call him an old soul, right? He's, you forget sometimes that he's in his early thirties, but, um, he's been a real treat and pleasure to play with and, and works extremely hard at the game behind the scenes. You know, he's always thinking about it. He's a very smart guy. So, you know, those are just some of the qualities that stand out. Um, but I'm really gaining a lot of respect for him as a, as a teammate, um and we've been through some stuff this year already you know we've had some some big wins some big losses and and you really get to know somebody when you go through some of those things and you know he's remained the same guy and i'm uh i feel really lucky to be on a sheet ice with him and have him as a teammate part i i didn't mention that i want to in regards to the off season you know a big addition to our team was paul webster you know one of the things I think top quality teams in the country need is really good coaching. And uh, I can't say enough for what Paul has brought into this group and keeping us on the rails and and keeping us with a really good team dynamic. And uh, yeah, just the main thing for the team was building a foundation that was going to allow us to put us in some spots to win some big stuff. And that's what we've done.
0: Now, Mark, you have a reputation for being one of the more adaptable players on tour, figuring out what your team and your skip needs from you and then filling that role. Did you and Brendan have conversations about that before the season started or is that something that evolves as a as a season progresses?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's not, not something you talk about too much. I think a lot of it comes naturally just as that relationship forms. I think you get a good idea of who the person is, what they may need from you, how they like to communicate. Um, and I think for Brandon and myself, you know, we spent a lot of time in the summer just just getting to know each other, just finding out what makes each other tick, you know, knowing what uh, gets us out of bed in the morning and gets us motivated to get out there and play. And, um, you know, the more I've got to know Brendan, I think the more I can say to him out on the ice to help get the best out of him. And And that goes both ways. I think he's been great to me as well. So the communication has flowed. Uh, very easily, and um, but to to really answer your question, I think it it, it very is an it's very much a naturally flowing thing that just comes over time, and and you really want to get the best out of your teammates, and and that just comes from getting to know them better and better, and that's um, that relationship is definitely still evolving, and we're looking forward to playing in our first Briar together and getting in some high pressure stuff and 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 playing hard for one another. You
0: mentioned earlier, Mark, that your team is currently in Calgary for a few days of practice before the Briar. I think, I think there's a misconception that many of the top teams don't practice as much when they reach the elite level, when the opposite seems to be true, because from conversations I've had with you and several other players from top teams, you certainly put in a lot of time in between these big events.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, there are some teams that'll still, you know, maybe they don't practice as much and they can show up and perform well and maybe even catch lightning in a bottle and win an event or two based on talent uh, and experience, which is great. Um, but that for this team, we knew that wasn't what we wanted to do. If you want to have that sustained success, you know, you just look at the, I think Shu's team has kind of set the standard of of what it looks like to work hard behind the scenes. You know, their, their team camps, their training, the stuff they're doing in their practices um is really something else and a lot of uh international teams are taking that same approach and you there's so much you learn in those practices together when you're really grinding it out via deliveries communication strategy uh picking up on some things here and there you know those are really hard things to do when you're just showing up at events and playing so yeah there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and, and with this group in particular we've been putting in a lot of hours to try to uh speed up that growth stage process so we can get to the performing stage as quickly as possible. Um, But yeah, I think it's a fair statement that a lot of people don't know how much time and energy and effort and sacrifice goes in behind the scenes um, before you get to these big events and are able to, to play the way that the top teams play. It's a fair statement.
0: How did you and a team process your recent provincial championship, Mark? Uh, You played very well, only lost one game all week, but that happened to be the championship final. How do you process a week where you did not achieve the ultimate goal, but still had a solid week and you still get to play in the briar?
2: I think you kind of nailed it. It was, um, you know, it was a good learning experience for us. It was another opportunity for us to play in a big event on arena ice. And, you know, the more opportunities we can get like that as a group, it's it's good because you learn a lot. Um, and you know, an old, an old statement from Kevin Martin, he used to say to us all the time, let's get to as many finals as possible because finals are always a little bit different. You know, you're the only game out there. There's bigger crowds. It's a little quieter. You just get used to all that thing, all those things together as a group. So that was really awesome for us to experience. Um, I think Kevin Cooey and his team, especially Kevin himself played terrific in that final, you know, so they definitely deserve to beat us. We didn't have our best. Um, and that's okay. I think, you know, for me personally, I'm looking forward to when the wildcards are determined before provincials. I think it's good for everybody. If the wildcard teams aren't competing in provincials, you know, Alberta is a perfect example. You had two wildcard teams in the final. Uh, yeah. You want to win, but it doesn't have the same level of desperation and, and need to win as it would if there were no wildcard spots. And and it also would have allowed the opportunity for uh, another young Alberta team to win a Purple Heart and would have been ecstatic to do so. So, you know, I, I think that's the plan moving forward is wild cards are going to be determined for the playdowns and those teams can kind of sit back and watch and prepare knowing that they have a spot wrapped up and they don't have to go through that playdown process. So... As a team, we assessed it as a, you know, another good week and we learned some stuff from that final and we look forward to taking um, some of that knowledge into the briar with us and hopefully we get another opportunity in a big game.
0: I know that over the years, Mark, uh, you've worked with a lot of younger curlers throughout the country. Uh, how excited are you to see several members of that next generation of Canadian curlers, guys like Tyler Tardy, Tanner Horgan, Jacques Gauthier and others, qualifying for their first briar this year?
2: Yeah, I think it's amazing. You know, we're we're definitely some of the older guys on tour now, and a lot of these young players were in juniors when we were in our prime. So it's great to see them get to the big event. I know there's a lot of young teams that are probably super excited to get started this week. Yeah, I, I love seeing it. The talent in this country is unbelievable. Um, I heard a great interview today from David Murdoch on uh, – on the TSN channel, on the radio, on my drive down. And then he nailed it. He said, we we need to continue to grow that pipeline of young talent and give them all the opportunities in the world to, if they want to be Olympic athletes or, or world champions, that they they have the opportunity to do that and to see a lot of these young players. And they're going to get the chance under the lights to show what they're made of. Um, I think it's great for them and great for our sport. And uh, yeah, I'm going to enjoy seeing a lot of that uh, youthful enthusiasm and energy out there on the ice in london i think it's terrific
0: and finally mark uh, you just provided me with an excellent segue Uh, curling canada recently announced the hiring of david murdoch as its new director of high performance Uh, you competed against david for several years and i'm sure you've paid attention to the work he's done with british curling and in scotland were you happy with the selection of david and what are you expecting from him i think it was a
2: terrific hire I, i think david is probably the best in the world at that job right now, and I think we're lucky as a country to have um, to have got him to, to help our program. Um, I think he's going to bring a ton of knowledge, um, but he's also a great communicator. So I think he's going to get the best out of out of his staff and the athletes. Um, and I, but I think he's going to bring a lot of the what he learned over in Scotland about about how to get uh, teams on the podium. You know, he's, he's high performances is what he does. And, uh, I got a ton of respect for Dave as a curler and a, and a person. And I look forward to getting to work with him. And I, I think we're going to see some great results with David, uh, leading the way. So super excited and jacked for him and, and for us as a program, I think he was the best guy for the job.
0: My next guest in Part 2 of the Briar Preview is J.D. Lin, who spends most of his time at the Curling Club coaching Team Fujisawa of Japan, but who made enough time this year to help Team Sturme qualify for their first Briar. J.D., over the past several seasons, uh, you've become best known as coach of the National uh, Team Program in Japan. What led you to decide to get back in the saddle and compete on the uh, World Curling Tour this season?
3: Uh, yeah, well, Sturme, um, uh, Carson Sturme and Kyle Doering, like, they, they actually approached me at the end of last season to play um, in the Champions Cup at the end of the season. Uh, so for me, it was just an opportunity to get back out there and, and play. It's been almost 10 years since um, since I've curled competitively myself. <laughs> I was a little little surprised that they asked me, but I figured I'd, I'd give it a go and see. And we um, we had a great time, really enjoyed playing with them. We had a lot of close games. We ended up, um, I think we ended up winning against Brad Gushu that that competition. So that's kind of where it all started and then they they kind of approached me and said well would you want to play this season and uh for me my my full-time job still is is coaching curling so um so I told them very honestly that you know I could only commit to uh you know a, a small amount of events and um when I was busy I wouldn't be able to play so we managed to to get a a strong five man team. And when I've been able to play, I've played and when I haven't been, we've, uh, you know, kind of switched the lineup up and and been lucky to have success both ways. So it's been uh, a little unorthodox, you know, uh, not really playing a full schedule, but it's, it's been a ton of fun. And um, yeah, I never, when I said yes, would have expected uh, to qualify for the Briar. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite an amazing ride for sure.
0: For those in our audience who may not remember you from the last chapter of your competitive career Red JD can you share some of the highlights? Yeah I'm curled out
3: of Alberta um, yeah played with uh, mostly with uh, Charlie Thomas Brock virtue Matthew Wing, um, kind of combination of those guys and um, people might Know those names as uh, Charlie's won uh, two world junior junior championships. So um, so yeah. So played uh, played a lot uh, in Alberta growing up, and uh, over the years, uh, those guys uh, kind of switched teams. And I know Matt didn't play uh, a couple years because of work and things like that. So um, yeah, most of my competitive career has been with that group. And then when I got this opportunity to coach in Japan, that's when I. I decided to to give up playing for, which at the time I thought might just be a short amount of time. I wasn't too sure, but uh, everything that's happened in Japan, it's been such a great experience for me that it's been, uh, yeah, almost 10, I think almost 10 years of of doing that. So um, yeah, that's pretty much who I played with growing up.
0: Now, we often hear that one of the challenges when a new team gets together, J.D., is for them to gel as a unit and to work their way until every member of the team is on the same page. How did your experience as a coach help Team Sturman navigate your first season as a team? Yeah, I definitely
3: feel that one of the main reasons why they asked me to play was because of my, you know, experience coaching and and having, you know, being a little bit older too, like all the other guys are uh, in their mid-20s and I'm... Uh, quite a bit older than that now so uh, yeah I think for me when I uh, agreed to play and and kind of felt like what I could bring to this team a lot of what I'm trying to do is just be you know a positive influence in terms of like the team dynamics how we communicate Um, just trying to you know obviously make a lot of shots but but understand that yeah in a lot of ways I am in sort of a a mentor role and I, and I have to be, you know, in some ways a team leader out there in how, you know, I want the, you know, or how we need the team to, to function. So yeah, I I've I definitely just been really trying to get to know the guys as best I can try and find ways to, you know, extract the best performance out of them and, and hopefully, um, you know, find some consistency when, you know, we're not really, really actually playing that much together, especially with the fact that I've I've only played about half the games this year. So, yeah, it's been interesting, but, but yeah, a ton of fun.
0: Consistency and getting used to each other is an important part of the development of a new team, JD. Were you concerned that your limited availability this season might make it hard for the team to, to gel in time for big events like Provincials and now the Briar? Yeah, like these the, the guys that I'm playing with are
3: are so relaxed and chill. Like I was very clear when I, <laughs> when I told them like what my situation was. Uh, and I think that almost makes it easier because like they knew that I wouldn't be there for a lot. So they kind of mentally were able to prepare for the fact that, yeah, this season we were going to be rotating guys. I think a lot of times when you have a five man team and you don't really know what the lineup's going to be every day because all five of those people are there, it's really tough. Whereas for us, it was um It was very clear that everybody was going to play um you know and in in a lot of cases different positions too like when i 'm there i 'm playing third, so when i 'm not there Kyle who 's usually playing second is moving up to play third, and one of the guys who 's playing lead is moving up to play second so it, it is very much uh you know everybody just has to be prepared to play and I think mentally you know just understanding that every week it could be something different has has really made it uh yeah, just kind of like a very unique situation where every single week everybody's just excited to play and uh, and just kind of embrace this this unique situation that we have. So yeah, I, I think for me it's it's almost been the most simple because when I'm when I'm there I'm I'm playing third I know what I'm doing. But for the other guys, really they're the ones that um, have done an amazing job this year. Um, you know, dealing with the different lineups. So, um, yeah, I can't say enough about the about the guys on my team and, and how, how well they've, they've done with this situation, for sure.
0: Now, I realize that the goal of any top team is to win that Provincials, but considering the depth of the field in that event in Alberta, how satisfied were you with the way your team performed at the Provincial Tankard? What were some of the key takeaways for your team in that event? And, and how confident are you guys uh, heading into the briar?
3: Yeah, like obviously, we we would have loved to have you know, made a final or, or had a, a chance to win it. But uh, Alberta has always been an extremely strong province, and, and this year was no different. Um, we ended up playing Botcher in the A, had a tough game there. And just the way that the draw worked, we dropped straight down to the B and had to play Cooey. Um And we had a really tight game there. We were right with them until the end. So for us, we just, you know, by the, the circumstances we were down – early in the sea. We were all the way back in the sea and, you know, we lost to Bacher and Kui. So for us, you know, as soon as you're that deep in the sea, you know, it's going to be a, a tough grind. So for us, we we played a lot of really good games in the sea when you, where you have no lives. And, um, and we did a lot of really strong teams in the sea to, to get into the playoffs. So for us, yeah, we we're a little disappointed. Maybe we didn't, uh, we make it to the final, for instance, but we lost to Botcher and Kui, the top two teams, Slachinski, a very strong team. And we played a lot of games um, where we were in a single elimination setting. So for me, the positives I take out of it are, are definitely how well we, we battled um, when we were down in the sea early. And uh, it's really hard to, you know, to play those types of pressure games. Uh, so I, I think we, we handled ourselves really well in, in that situation. So, um we're very excited for the briar obviously we know it's going to be another new experience but you know this season we've just been really trying to just battle every single game and and that's what we'll we'll try and do at the briar
0: jd you've been at ice level for many important curling games over the past decade but this will be the first time that you actually get to slide up and down that ice and be part of the action how exciting is that for you at this point in your career
3: yeah honestly it still hasn't even really sunk in for me it's um yeah, it's, it's something I honestly never thought I would get to do. Um, when I first started to coach in Japan, I always kind of thought, well, maybe I'd come back and play. But since probably Pyeongchang and, you know, that, that experience at the Olympics, I pretty much have, like I've loved coaching and kind of assumed that I would not go back and play again. So uh, the chance to get to go to the Bride or something, honestly, I, I didn't think I, I would get to do. And especially being in Alberta growing up, and playing in the provincials with so many strong teams, um, you know, back, back when I was playing, there was no wild cards. Like you, the only way you got to the Briar was, was winning your province. So it was always so difficult. So having the wild card uh, as, as a fixture in the Briar now, coming back and playing, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to even believe. So for me, I'm, I'm very excited. It's something I always wanted to do. And um, I'm so happy to to get this opportunity and, and honestly, to get to do it with these guys, like they're such a good group. And, you know, we've gelled so quickly. And, and for me getting to play with, you know, some, some young up and coming some like really the future of the game um, and to feel like I've, I've been able to help them and, and hopefully um, set them on a journey where they'll have an amazing career. It's, it, it really is for me as like a coach, getting this opportunity to mention this team and the way it's all worked um yeah couldn't couldn't ask for anything more i'm super excited and, and just really going to enjoy the experience
0: and finally jd leaning on your experience as a coach uh, what are going to be the keys for your team to not only play well and hopefully make a run at the playoffs uh, at the briar but also get the most out of the experience
3: yeah for us a lot of it is, is just mentality um i think we, we have the skill individually and, and as a team, we have the skill to to have a really good week. But um, when it comes to the Briar, for all of us, this is our first, uh, you know, our first appearance there. Uh, so you you know that there's always going to be, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things that happen in a big event that, that uh, you know, you need to experience. So for me, even though I haven't played in the Briar myself, having been to, you know, Olympics, world championships, things like that, um, kind of understanding some of the, the distractions that come with big events. For me, my goal is just to try and really help the guys through a lot of those things that that happen in those big events and just try and make sure that we we consistently have a good mind frame, and a good attitude every single game, especially if, you know, we have a few tough ends or a few tough games, Really the only thing we can control it there is, is how we work together and and our attitudes so um, so my job and, and you know all I want to see is every single game we can just come in there with you know the best attitude we can and and really just leave it out there and, and if we, if we win that's great and if we don't honestly I'll be, I'll be fine with that, but'll we'll, we'll definitely be out there playing as hard as we can. Hard,
0: hard, hard. My next guest on this episode is Jacques Goetze, one of the young guns of the Canadian curling scene who won a World Junior Championship in 2020 and will now lead Team BC in his first ever briar as a skip. Jacques, most curling fans will remember you from your run at the World Junior Championships in 2020 when you brought back uh, the gold medal for Canada. Then you started your men's career, which was limited by the fact that much of the curling was cancelled during the pandemic. That said, I'm wondering if you could outline some of the major differences that you've noticed between the game at the junior level compared to men's. That's a great question. I think, I mean, last year, um, I've been I've been pretty privileged growing up in Manitoba
4: that, I've been kind of accustomed to a very high-level play from a young age, playing in Stunstone and Calvert and then aging out, and those guys are still around. Um, you know, I think last year we played a very very much local schedule. We played mostly in Manitoba and then went to uh, Swift Current for that big event they have out there. And, you know, I liked, we went 0-3 in Swift Current, but I liked, I liked the idea that we had to play our absolute best just to win a game out there. Um and um, it was kind of addicting, like, l- watching the top teams and, like, wanting to play them and wanting to be in those games. And so, um, you know, this season going out to BC, we knew that we were going to travel a ton and play in all of those kind of A1 spiels, and I was really looking forward to it. And uh, you know what? The guys on TV, like, they look good, and they are just as good as they look. Um, There's been lots of games this year that, have, that we've been part of that we've missed, like, one or two shots kind of at inopportune times, and that just cost us the game. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what what I've taken out of this year is when you have an opportunity, you have to take it because against the botchers, the Gooshus, the cooies, you're not going to get more. Um, another thing that we, we've been kind of tracking along the year is, uh, you know, our analytical advantages. When we're in an analytical advantage in a game, we're trying to do everything we can to stay at that point. Um, so, you know, on, on different shots, there's risk-reward. But if the risk potentially costs us you know being in a disadvantaged state we've kind of opted to go away from those whereas at the beginning of the year you know maybe I would have tried a hero shot and then all of a sudden we give up a steal too and now we're down right so I think risk reward um, taking advantage of opportunities and uh, kind of just understanding the options that uh, are available for the opposition at all times are the, the three big things that the men's game has taught me so far but obviously there's still plenty to learn.
0: As we speak, Jacques, you are in Kamloops uh, to support your partner, uh, Carly, who plays with uh, Team Jennifer Jones. I'm wondering if you've taken a little bit of time to try and immerse yourself into the Scottish experience in Kamloops to gain a little bit of insight into what you might expect when you get to London for the Briar. Now, I know you've been to the Briar as an alternate before, but that was in the Calgary bubble, and, and what you'll experience in London as a player will be much more similar to what you might be experiencing in Kamloops than what you experience inside the bubble, at least when it comes to the off-ice distraction.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, honestly, the the way that I've been kind of prepped for this event has been perfect. I got to experience the briar and the bubble with no fans and just kind of learning the, the bare bones. You know, this is how the scheduling works. This is how early you have to be the games is what you can kind of expect just as far as the game is concerned, um, kind of being part of it. But then as a as a watcher this week, it's cool to see, you know, all the fans, the engagements, the autographs, the sessions. You know, they go to the Hard the, uh, the Stop Lounge to sign uh, sign autographs the other day and just seeing it kind of from both perspectives. So I got to see, you know, how the games play out and, and the competitive nature on the ice uh, at the Briar and the bubble. And I also get to see kind of the fanfare uh, as a fan this week at the Scotties. Uh, I think I'm prepared. Like, I, I know what to expect roughly, but I've also heard, you know, the Briar is just... There's a reason it's the Briar and, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, to how it's going to go and kind of ready to be surprised.
0: Now this is a new lineup for you this season, Jacques, but uh, all of you apparently from what I've heard were quite familiar with each other before creating the team. So I'm wondering if that helped you gel more quickly when you hit the ice early this season.
4: Well, honestly, I thought like, we all kind of thought it would be easier because we had a lot of team meetings this summer and, we, we got along right off the ice, and, like you said, like we're very familiar with one another, but you know tackling on ice issues um together as a team, it just takes time, and so for us, that's something that we kind of figured out right away because we didn't get off on the right foot and so um you know everybody talks about how the off ice dynamic takes time, and you have to you have to take time to develop it because if you don't uh there's just no way that you're going to be successful, and so that's i I think that we have worked harder on that than maybe anything else on the team. And I think that once we started to gel and started to figure out our roles, I think that's when we really took off. I think Swift Current was our first kind of example of that. And we lost the semis to Kui there. And I think up until that point, we were just kind of grinding, figuring out, okay, whose role is, um, you know, whose role is taking taking track of the speed of the ice and the curl and uh, and the rocks and all that kind of stuff and how assertive do I want to be as a skip and all this kind of stuff that kind of goes into it. Like I know these guys as a, uh, as a competitor, but it's just way different when you're on the same team um, and trying to figure it out with them as opposed to against them.
0: At provincials as Jacques, you qualified through the A flight which meant that you had about 36 hours uh, to kill before the 1 versus 2 game. And I'm just wondering if that was a concern for you the fact that you'd be sitting and not competing for 36 hours before you got into that 1 versus 2 uh, page playoff game. I think we tried to approach
4: it with a healthy a healthy distance so we wanted to keep, you know, keep track of what's going on in the games, you're we watching the men's and the women's action, but we didn't want to read too much into it. I mean, I I've always been a guy that You know, if you're waiting for somebody um, to play, you know, if like let's say you get a bye and you have to play somebody in the final or in a playoff game, you know, I've never been a huge fan of watching the playoff game beforehand because you're going to see both teams make shots and it might stir your confidence. So for us, we were watching the games but not reading too much into them. We also had a practice on the, uh, the Friday, so we got to keep our feet wet, you know, throw a couple rocks, feel good about the ice, feel good about you know, a different set of rocks and a different sheet just, you know, just to be there. Um, you know, Friday night, we had a, a meal with our, our families too. It was nice to take advantage of a little bit of time off, but, um, as you may know on fr- at Friday night, I got super sick with the flu and then was kind of out for the Saturday morning game against Cotter. So, um, for me, it was like forty-eight hours of not playing, and uh, you know what? Honestly, by the time I got to the final and I threw my first rock, I felt I still felt pretty prepared and still still pretty involved.
0: All right. So, in ten words or less, Jacques, what went through your mind when the final rock of the championship final stopped and you realized that you were a provincial champion and going to the Briar? I think I have it out of my out of my hand. I was like, I, I think I made it. There was uh, this
4: is I guess ten more than ten words or, or more. There, but, it's you know, all I, good. It's all good. I, cool. I, I, I kind of got into the hack and to be honest with you, I I sat down and I cleaned my rock and I looked at the broom and I said, this shot is to go to the briar. And then I like kind of told myself to shut up. Just like, don't think about that yet. You still have to throw it. Nothing's guaranteed. And then out of my hand, you know, I I let go and it looked good. And I was like, I think we're going to the briar
0: and uh, ended up, ended up being the case. And finally, Jacques, uh, players often tell me that they don't pay attention to their schedule ahead of the Briar or Scotties. Uh, some even try to convince me that they haven't even looked at it. Now, I'm sure you've looked at your schedule, and by luck of the draw, you will play Team Gushu in your first ever Briar game as a skip. How excited are you to open up against the reigning Briar champs?
4: Couldn't be happier about it. Uh, I mean, for us, you know, we uh, we feel like we're playing really well, and obviously the Gushu team's going to as well, but them it's been a while they've they've played a pretty light schedule this year and you know everyone's going to have to take some time to adapt to the to the ice conditions out in london so you know if we're going to play the gushu team first game or at the last game when they have the rocks and ice and all that kind of stuff figured out you know i'd rather play them first game right off the hop because if we're going to drop a te- drop it uh, drop a game to goose, I'd rather be early in the week, and we, uh, we have maybe more of a chance to win than later in the week when they're, when they're firing at full tilt. so it's the same thing. we play botcher, I think kind of right out of the weekend, and uh, I'm happy about that too, same kind of thing. you know that team you know they're just going to keep getting better and better as the week goes on, so and obviously hopefully so will we, but you know we'd like to catch them early and maybe catch
0: them off guard uh, if, uh, if we have a chance to. <laughs> And my final guest of this year's Briar Preview is Mike McCune, who will be wearing a different colour at this year's Briar, having formed a team that plays out of Ontario. So Mike, when I first started this podcast some eight and a half years ago, you were skipping one of the best teams in the world, yet you had never been able to get over that hump and qualify for the Briar. So here we are, eight years later, and you're headed to London for your eighth consecutive Briar. Now that streak of frustration at the Manitoba Provincials has to feel like a lifetime ago at this point, doesn't it, Mike?
5: Yeah, it's it's a little dreamy if I look back and, and think about, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Manitoba and, you know, at the time seeing, you know, guys like Vic Peters, Kerry Burtnick uh, and even Jeff at the time, you know, it was if you got to go to two, three, four, you know, that was a heck of a career out of Manitoba to get to, you know, to get to a handful of briars essentially. And so, yeah, I honestly never imagined that, uh, I would have the opportunity to go to eight. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, the sports change and there's there's wildcard opportunities and some things like that, that I've benefited, uh, from the extra chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, looking back when I was a kid, uh, Oh yeah, this, this would have been, this would have exceeded, you know, anything I could have thought up of at that time for, you know, going, going to the briar.
0: How different of a curler and skip are you Mike now uh, compared to those days uh, eight years ago when you were still trying to crack that code to win provincials? I'm older. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah, You, you and I both.
5: (laughs) Yeah, no. um, You know, and, and, I guess you know not not to make fun of that, but um i think uh you know i've seen and and been through enough that i'm in a nice position where i i don't really get rattled um, you know i'm I'm a pretty calm competitor, which is uh you know a nice a nice place to play from um you know definitely if we re rewound the clock you know i had uh you know some mental battles some some hurdles to overcome that uh, you know i had some difficulties uh I had you know plenty of skill and and a team that had all of that to back me um but you know i had some hurdles uh to overcome and it's it's too bad uh that i i don't have uh you know that i didn't have the calmness and some of the experience that that i think um, that you can get by going to, you know, kind of cutting your teeth at, at a a bunch of national events. And, and unfortunately I didn't have that experience or, or, you know, make it through, um, a number of times out of Manitoba to, to kind of get that experience in those big, big moments. And so it just, it, it took me longer, I think, to get to a place where I can handle, um, you know, just a massive amount of pressure and, and feel, uh, you know, perfectly at ease with it. Um, and I can say that because I felt that way when we played the Olympic trial final in, uh, in December of, uh, I guess that was 2017. So I know I can handle all the pressure in the world. I just, uh, it, it took me a bit longer to get there.
0: Mike, you've played under three or so different formats at the Briar, including the one that is being used this year, which certainly has not garnered unanimous support amongst players and fans. What do you think of the current format, and how would you tweak it to bring the format to a place where it can be more roundly acceptable for players?
5: No, it's, 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 a, it's a tough situation because, you know, and, and selfishly, I've struggled under the new formats, you know, with the split pools and, and we've had changing playoffs from year to year, you know, whether they're going into some sort of sudden death uh, into a page playoff or if they're actually doing a mini round robin crossover section. But, uh, yeah, I've, I haven't i have really, I feel, performed in my potential uh, since we've gone to the two pool split. Um, so, selfishly, I kind of... You know, um from a performance standpoint, I, I kinda like the old system. It it's it's a it's a tough situation because it's hard to it's it's really hard to, you know, find one format that solves all the issues. Um and I still love like the single round robin play, but I do understand we're adding adding more wildcard teams, adding more opportunities for young curlers and highly ranked curlers to get experience at our national level is important. Um, You know, and whether that's one big pool like we did in the old days and we had relegation or the two split um, it's hard to land on a format that accomplishes everything. And I am. So I, it's been a question I haven't really been able to answer personally myself, Uh, but the, the two split pools, you know it adds some complications and some undesirable effects um even from a standpoint as as far as the feel of the event of you know feeling like you're there with everyone especially with the split pool situation and i i'm not sure i love what we've done with the playoff format this year um having said that i haven't you know, haven't had the opportunity to to be in that type of playoff system. The ladies are obviously testing it out this weekend. But um, yeah, I, I hope we keep working towards uh, something where we can get more yeses than nos, but I, I'm not sure we're there yet.
0: I remember having you on the podcast Mike when the four rock rule was introduced and now we have the five rock rule and also the no tick zone and other new rules. Do you think we're getting to the point where we may have had enough rule changes or do you believe there's still some work to do on that front? No,
5: I I, I actually think that we're we're sort of headed in the right direction. Um you, you want our sport to be an exciting finish and we you know, we were in a situation with good ice conditions and good players that the tick was becoming fairly automatic and you could have a tie game where essentially you watched the first handful of shots and you knew what the outcome was, um, you know, with 90, 95% certainty. And, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, I don't think it was something that was, was healthy long-term, uh, for a sport to have sort of, uh, outcomes that, that were, uh, you know, not exciting finishes, especially in a tie game. I think, uh, I think w- there's still room to tweak the rules. I think the, the tick shot rule is, is it, it's good that we're, you know, we're exploring not being able to do that. Um, I'm not going to say that we're done finding ways to, you know, to make sure that curling is, you know, exciting and high scoring and, you know, we can kind of, uh, I think we want to, Reduce, you know, ends that are are you know a little bit boring or or not you know wide open play, um, you know we want to look at you know how 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 does offense and and items like that kind of stay in the limelight? But I, I know that there there may be some that are concerned with, you know, you've worked so hard to be in that position to be tied or you know have the hammer and whatnot, and we're not seeing the results play out, Um, you know, we're seeing stolen games. And uh, I I would say we we need a bit more time to evaluate this and and see uh, because it's so early, there's just not enough data to kind of see where this is going to go. But I, I don't think we're done tweaking. And I think as long as we kind of do, we look at things where we're tweaking one thing at a time. So we have, you know, the appropriate amount of games and championships to be able to evaluate is that, is that actually accomplishing what we want in the sport? I got a little bit concerned when we were talking about doing multiple changes all at once. Um, and there, there was some talk before a world championship of that. So I think we, just, we have to be a little bit mindful of how many, how many things we're, we're trying to move, uh, move forward with changes to the sport.
0: Moving on to this curling season, Mike, uh, you're skipping a brand new team this year. Can you take us behind the scenes and share how the team came together?
5: Yes, it, it it basically the team came together Ryan and I you know have been chatting for some time and and we're looking to make a team and initially we we hadn't really settled on whether it was going to be Manitoba or Ontario so we were we were looking at options in Manitoba and unfortunately um just with uh Manitoba seems like a hard place to play. <laughs> you look at the ladies and and even on the men's side with Reed and Dunstone and there's uh you know, it, it ended up in a situation where, you know, for me to stay home and compete, there's just a limited amount of players that, you know, can really do what we wanted to do. So it ended up being, you know, when it was a choice between Manitoba and Ontario, just the way the chips fell, I had to be an import for the first time in my career. So yeah, I, you know, I would have loved to have been wearing um, Manitoba colors at, you know, some point in this year, but uh it just wasn't in the cards for players available. And, and uh, yeah, lo and behold, uh, I you know, I found myself with, you know, Brent who, you know, I've known Brent for, I can't remember how long my wife's played with Jen, but it's got to be, it was close to like 14, 15 years, I would imagine. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of funny how it worked out just playing with, with some guys that, you know, and Ryan I've known since my junior days competing against them to end up on, uh, you know, a team with, uh, you know, guys that, like I said, I've been around forever in sport, but never played with. Um, so it was, it was strange and, and we didn't announce till midsummer. Things kind of took their time to sort out because we were unsure exactly who was going to, you know, be where on the team, you know, whether Brent was going to play lead or second and, and, uh, it just, uh, there's no secret we've been through our struggles in the fall, but i um, yeah. really excited where the team is.
0: Now, midway through the season, uh, Mike, uh, you made a lineup change, uh, adding Joey Hart at lead and also adding his dad, Richard Hart, as coach. Tell me how that came about and what type of impact they've had on the team.
5: Yeah, it's one of those situations where Joe and Rich were, and, and this is fortunate for us, that Joe and Rich were in the right place at the right time for us to be able to grab them you know, easily Joe could have been on a, you know, a, a good team already. And, and, and just to have those two sitting there when we had a situation on our team where we just, it wasn't working that we, you know, we couldn't function in the way that we wanted to leading into provincials. And it's, yeah, we got lucky to be able to grab those two guys uh, Joe's uh you know, he's, he's, a, he's a young guy, he's enthusiastic, he's talented, he's strong. And just to add that energy to the team where, you know, a, there's no hiding it, we labored very, very hard during the fall with limited success. So just to add his enthusiasm and then Rich to come on board and just give us that that little bit of structure, that, that kind of dynamic off the ice um, to kind of, you know, gently steer the team and, and he knows how to win as much as anybody does in the game. Yeah, I just personally feel very fortunate that those two guys were there when we needed them. Um, so we got lucky to add that, you know, within, you know, just outside of a week or so from the Ontario Taker.
0: Mike, your team played really well at Provincials, losing only one game on the way to the final, where you faced a Glenn Howard team that you had played a bunch against in slams and in past briars. In all of those games versus Glenn, Mike, had you ever stolen the first three ands against him like you did in this year's Provincial Final? I don't think I've ever had
5: a Provincial Final go quite that well early. <laughs> um, you know, just, just a just a situation where... You know, the first few ends not not unlike we've seen at some of the Scotties games here uh, during the week, where where the ice can be a bit fresh and paths uh, as as you break it in during gameplay, and we were just able to to apply pressure early in the game. And and Glenn, you know, not that he threw anything really bad, but just um, you know, you don't have to be off by much to to miss shots, and we just yeah. The guys played great and I was able to make a couple where we put Glenn under the heat and you know we we're fortunate enough to to steal a bunch of ends that doesn't happen very often you know Glenn as a player is about as consistent as they get despite his age so just uh, to get a few misses early that uh, was just uh you know something that's a dream start to a, a tankard final that's not going to happen very often
0: it's no secret Mike that there's a lot of younger teams and players that have qualified for the Briar this year. Do you think that it could be an advantage to a team like yours where aside from Joey Hart at lead, you have a bunch of experience at the Briar and other big events throughout the rest of your lineup?
5: Yeah, I would say experience is always an advantage as long as you're motivated. And and that's, you know, that's exactly what happened to this team is we went from being experienced and you know, we were underwhelming and underperforming most of the year to that changing with Joe and rich and now we're experienced and now we're motivated. Um, so yeah, I think it's an advantage. Um, I think we'll be, you know, we'll be focused and, and, you know, be able to hopefully read the conditions and, and everything that's going on around us better or as good as our competition. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, because, you know, we had all the experience in the world. You can't, you know, you can't find two guys much more than, you know, Brent Lang and Ryan Fry that, that have anything else, uh, you know, that they haven't done. So I'm excited that now, you know, with, with this unit, that we've also got the motivation to do well. So I, I'm excited for that opening weekend. It's, it's a big opening weekend. We play Quebec, Team Canada, and Botcher, uh, the wildcard team. First three games, so right out of the gate, just like Ontario Tankard, uh, we, we got to treat it like it's you know it's playoff games right away for us. I'm excited for that challenge.
0: And finally, Mike, uh, several of your contemporaries have taken up active roles in coaching, be it with junior teams or women's teams. Uh, is coaching something that might be on your radar? Yeah, yeah, I haven't ruled it out. Uh, you're right.
5: There's a lot of a, <laughs> a lot of teammates. Uh, uh doing the former and current uh coaching in in the ladies game um yeah personally i I haven't ruled it out haven't made a decision one way or the other uh for what you know that might look like for me in the future yeah to be honest just taking one event at a time right now and just so excited to to give this a really good run in london but uh yeah, would I, would I consider coaching someday? I love the sport. Uh, my, girl, uh, my oldest girl, Vienna, is getting into it. Uh, yeah, so I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out uh, giving back to curling and, in some sort of way, uh, being on, on the bench coaching. We'll see.
0: And that does it for part two of the Briar Preview. A huge thank you to Brad Gushu, Mark Kennedy, J.D. Lynn, Jacques Gautier, and Mike McCune for joining me. Enjoy the Briar, everyone. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.